Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. A royal lockdown. The Duchess of Cambridge in isolation. Live to London. The illegal party that could see Sydney's lockdown extended. NRL players forced to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars over their COVID breaches and we'll have your guide to Australia's vaccine supply. But we begin with breaking news in the UK. The Duchess of Cambridge is in isolation after coming into contact with someone who has COVID-19. Hugh Whitfield is live for us at Buckingham Palace. Hugh, what do we know? Well, Andrew, no, Kate is at home and not experiencing any symptoms and was at Wimbledon last Friday. Later on, on Friday, it's understood that Kate was told she had come into contact with someone who has tested positive to COVID and under the rules here in the UK, she has to go into isolation for 10 days from that point of contact. The rules here also mean that William is allowed to go out and about. So the Duke of Cambridge has been at St Paul's Cathedral uh, in the last couple of hours alongside the British Prime Minister for a service of thanksgiving for the National Health Service here that's celebrating its 73rd birthday and obviously a thanksgiving service for the tireless work of those hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers across the UK have been working so hard during the course of the pandemic. In fact, the Queen has awarded the NHS here the George Cross, which is the highest civilian award for uh, valour and heroism. Uh, And then here at Buckingham Palace right now, an afternoon tea is getting underway, hosted by Prince William in the gardens out the back of the palace uh, for some of those NHS workers, nurses, hospital managers, caterers, cleaners. uh, A a symbol of thanks for uh, all the work that they've been doing. And Kate getting a few days to have a bit of a rest up. And Hugh, the UK government is on the brink of making a controversial change to COVID rules. Yeah, Angie, in about three hours' time, Boris Johnson will be at Downing Street for what's described as a big bang announcement. He will reveal how Britain will move off all COVID restrictions in just a fortnight's time. Now, that will involve uh, the end of social distancing, the end of rules in pubs that put a limit on groups inside and outside. It means you'll be able to have a pint at the bar, but it also means that uh, masks will no longer be compulsory in most indoor settings. Now, that's the government scrapping the rules. It doesn't mean that public transport operators like the Tube won't still require masks, but it is relatively controversial and it seems as though not everyone uh, will be taking advantage of that and removing their masks in all settings, but government ministers, it seems, will be. We are going to, I think, now move into a period where there won't be legal restrictions, the state won't be telling you what to do, but you will want to exercise a degree of personal responsibility and judgment. So different people will come to different conclusions on things like masks, for example. 
So uh, Government Minister Robert Jenrick there uh, and uh, the British Chancellor Rishi Sunak have both said they won't be wearing a mask. Uh, Health bosses are said to be a little bit concerned about that measure. It comes at a time when the Delta variant is the predominant variant of COVID-19 across the UK. On Saturday, which is the last day, we've got the uh, figures for 24,248 new cases were recorded in 24 hours and three deaths. Now, the the reason why there is confidence within the government and also within the health system about reducing the restrictions is that when you compare that number to the last time 24,000 cases were being recorded back in December, uh, 15,000 people were in hospital with COVID. Right now, 1,400 people are in hospital with COVID, so just 10%. And the government says that is all down to the vaccine. 75 million doses of vaccine have been delivered across the UK. 33 million people have two doses. That is half the population and everyone considered vulnerable. That's what's giving people the confidence here to shirk off and shake off those COVID restrictions despite the figures. Yes, just remarkable what you can achieve with an effective vaccine rollout. Okay, thanks so much. Hugh Whitfield in London. A party at a Sydney hotel could have jeopardised the city's path out of lockdown. Tom Saker is outside that hotel with more on this tonight. Tom, what do we know? Well, Ange, we know that a small gathering took place at one of these apartments at the Meriton Suites on Saturday the 26th of June, just two hours after Sydney's stay-at-home orders came into effect. And it's already responsible for three positive COVID cases, and that number could jump quite significantly and be another super spreader event, much like the birthday party at West Hoxton. The only difference here is that this party was illegal. Police are here on site now as we speak, investigating. And the Minister for Health, Brad Hazard, today said that the party attendees were entitled and that this was exactly the kind of behaviour that would jeopardise Sydney's chances of coming out of lockdown on Friday. The entire apartment block is under a stay-at-home order, as is anyone who visited the block in the past nine days. On the subject of coming out of lockdown, Gladys today was quite vague on that point, not ruling anything in or out at this stage. Uh, Let's take a listen. Can I just urge everybody to please follow the rules. The next few days are critical. We want to get out of this lockdown as soon as possible in a timely way. And I just thank everybody for the efforts to date, but please keep at it. Uh, The next few days will be critical in our decision making. Now, she has said that uh, she wants to review all the data as it comes uh, in each day. But at this stage, the data doesn't seem to be too promising. 312 cases since this outbreak began, many of whom have been circulating in the community uh, during the infectious period. Ange? And Tom, there are also concerns tonight that two city hospitals are critically understaffed with hundreds of workers forced into isolation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, more than 600, in fact, uh, are, are, at, uh, are undergoing stay-at-home orders as we speak. Uh, 500 from Royal North Shore Hospital and more than 120 at Fairfield Hospital after an unvaccinated nurse, just 24 years old, worked at both of those hospitals between the 24th and 28th of June. Uh, now... The situation, particularly at Ronald Shaw Hospital, is uh, very strained. There are very little staff there. They're only carrying out emergency surgeries. And there are new fears that pregnant women won't be able to be accompanied by their partners if they give birth in the next little while. Uh, Also on the exposed venues list tonight is another hospital, uh, the... 
the Sydney Adventist Hospital on the ground floor of the Tullock building in Warunga. That's only a 15 minute window between 2 and 2.15 p.m. last Monday. But certainly uh, big concerns there for the health uh, industry. Andrew? Indeed. Okay, Tom Saker in Sydney for us. Thank you. 13 St George Illawarra players have been issued serious breach notices by the NRL after attending a party during the Sydney lockdown. Among them, Jack DeBellin, who it has been reported hid under a bed from police when they arrived to assess the breach of restrictions, a move that has increased the penalty issued to some of those involved. Chief League reporter Michelle Bishop is at the New South Wales Origin Camp on the Central Coast. Michelle, some of the players have been fined huge amounts over this. Good evening, and Well, look, the NRL, they promised to come down hard on any player that continued to buck the system because they've had some problems, and they certainly didn't disappoint. 13 St George Illawarra Dragons players have been fined tonight, a total of $305,000. And not only that, that's not the worst of it. Uh, the whole 13 players will each sit out between them 20 matches. So that's obviously putting the St George Illawarra Dragons in serious doubt as far as their campaign is concerned this year. There most experienced is Paul Vaughan and he of course hosted the party. He would cop the biggest fine, $50,000 and he'll be sidelined for eight weeks and that is also because he is a repeat offender. He was involved in a COVID breach back in 2020 but when you think you've got the likes of Corey Norman, Zach Lomax, uh, Jack Bird sidelined, this is really going to damage the Dragons for this season. What does it mean for their season? Well, look, you can almost certainly write it off. Um, you know, they are just sitting outside the top eight, so making the finals this year will be a huge ask. And look, the St George Illawarra Dragons themselves, they've had no reservations about what the NRL's done this afternoon because they are trying desperately in this very difficult COVID period to keep the competition alive. They haven't ruled out issuing their own punishments. That's right. The league, the governments, everyone bending over backwards, creating these bubbles to let them play. OK, thanks so much, Michelle Bishop. Queensland health authorities say they are comfortable. They are almost out of the woods in suppressing the spread of their most recent cluster. Joel Dry is in Brisbane for us this evening. Joel, what were the numbers today? Good evening, Ange. We had four new locally acquired cases of COVID-19 announced overnight, and that's never a good thing to have new cases, particularly when it does dramatically increase the number of exposure sites right throughout the southeast. But in this morning's press conference, there was a much more positive vibe, and that's because of the good news. All four of these cases have been linked to known clusters. For a while, there have been a few mysteries about some of these cases popping up, but the Chief Health Officer said today we've now been able to create links for all of them and they are now all part of essentially the same cluster. The other really good news is that they are all the alpha variant. We have had some Delta cases in the community over the past couple of weeks but for some reason they don't seem to be spreading and it's just this alpha cluster that is now the last one that health authorities need to run down. So good news on the case front and also the Premier says this is a very positive sign for the, uh, sign for the short sharp lockdown that we had over the past week. The Premier says it definitely worked. OK, and Joel, the Queensland Premier is also pushing forward with a plan for two quarantine facilities to house returning travellers arriving back in Queensland. What do we know? 
Yeah, that's right. The Queensland government has for some time, months now, been pushing for a regional quarantine facility out at Toowoomba next to the privately owned Wellcamp Airport. For a long time, they've been pushing the federal government to get money to set that up, but the Prime Minister has been pushing back for some time also. In the last couple of weeks, he has put forward another option, that is a government-owned parcel of land at Pinkenbart near the Brisbane Airport. He says it's much more uh, centrally located, therefore makes sense. It's close to major hospitals. So they have agreed, the federal government, to pay for this new facility if the Queensland government agrees to run it. Anastasia Palaszczuk today said one is great, but what we really need is two quarantine facilities. If we are going to get to the stage where we stop using the hotels, we need both centres. So we need the one at Toowoomba and we need the one at the Brisbane airport. So uh, that's our position. We're going to keep uh, working with the Commonwealth on both of those but we are having very productive um, discussions with them. But they still continue to talk and nothing as yet is being built. The best case scenario for just one of those facilities to be up and running is probably early next year. So for now, hotel quarantine remains. Mm. Meanwhile, Joel, an online petition related to Anastasia Palaszczuk's travel plans has been gather gathering pace. Yeah, it has. We talk about hotel quarantine. The Premier is actually scheduled to have to go into hotel quarantine at the end of this month. She is planning to go over to Japan to do a last pitch towards IOC members to secure Queensland and Brisbane the 2032 Olympics. But when she comes back, she will have to go into hotel quarantine. Of course, she has been one of the most vocal people for reducing the incoming passenger arrival caps. So a lot of people think it's very hypocritical that she herself is going to go overseas, albeit for official business. So there is a petition on change.org.au calling for uh, the Australian Border Force to deny her exit out of the country. It currently sits just below 20,000 signatures. So plenty of people think that it's not right and not fair that the Premier herself is actually going to be allowed to leave the country. It seems quite extraordinary given the argument she's been making. OK, thanks so much. Joel Dry in Brisbane. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Business leaders across the country have warned the federal government they cannot survive another lockdown. Rob Scott is in Canberra this evening. Rob, they're demanding some certainty for the future. Yeah, they certainly are, Anja. Business groups say, well, it's great the Prime Minister finally announced a plan last week, a four-point-four phase plan uh, to guide Australia back to some sense of normality. It lacks the detail that they were hoping for. Specifically, they want to know the trigger points uh, that, that are there, the so-called vaccination thresholds that need to be met for the plan to move from one phase to the next and also how long those stages will last. All of that will be based on modelling that's currently still being worked on by scientists at Melbourne's 
Doherty Institute. But business leaders are pleading that when those targets are eventually set, they are realistic and not so high that they can never be reached. They also want a nationally consistent approach, demanding the states all commit to the same plan and how it's implemented, concerned they may decide to head off in different directions again, warning that businesses cannot survive rolling lockdowns for much longer. We need to get a guarantee from the premiers that they're going to use lockdowns as an absolute last resort because business cannot continue to operate like this, like an on and off light switch. Now, no doubt those concerns were made even worse today when the health minister revealed the four-phase plan meant to provide some clarity for the future isn't set in stone. It's likely that these thresholds will be enduring, but if the medical advice changes because of a new strain, because of new learning, then of course uh, we have to give ourselves um, the honest position of saying we'll adapt to the global circumstances and adapt to the medical advice. A tricky balancing act for the government, Ange, but it's that constant changing of the goalposts that has business owners so frustrated. Indeed. OK, Rob Scott in Canberra for us. Thank you. From today, 500 GPs across Australia have begun rolling out the Pfizer jab to people aged between 40 and 59. A further 800 GPs will come on board during July and August. The federal government is expecting around 2.8 million new Pfizer doses this month. But the bulk of supply is due from October, with 40 million doses of Pfizer and Moderna expected in the final quarter of the year. Going off those numbers and our current vaccination pace, Australia's adult population should be fully vaccinated by late March 2022. I'm joined now by infectious diseases specialist Professor Robert Boy. Professor, thank you for joining us as always. Now, Scott Morrison's four-phase COVID exit strategy, it all hinges on vaccination thresholds. How hard is that when we are having these supply issues with the vaccine? Are you confident we're going to get those supplies through? I think we will. We've been promised them within two to three months. We could even have a glut. We could have more than we can deliver. I think we'll have to do much better than we're currently doing. We have to double from a million doses a week to two million doses a week if we're going to make the uh, Christmas deadline. There are still no details, as we've said, on how many Australians need to be vaccinated before we move to phase two of Scott Morrison's plan. But have a listen to what he said when he made the announcement. It will be a number that's, that we can have confidence means that when you reach that level of vaccination in the population, which may include um, specific targets on vaccination of vulnerable populations such as those over 70. That's the gate that we have to get through. Once we get through that gate, and that'll be determined by the scientific evidence, then we will move into a phase where we seek to minimise serious illness, hospitalisation and fatality as a result of COVID-19. Now, Professor, to me, that kind of sounds like rather than having to have 80% of the entire adult population vaccinated, like we've been saying, it could be enough to simply make sure all the vulnerable people in the community who would get really sick if they get COVID, that they're vaccinated. That would, of course, mean we could get to phase two much more quickly. We could open up much more quickly. Is that an option? Well, we do need to protect. And that's what phase 1A was about and should have been finished two months ago. The vulnerable, the elderly, those with chronic conditions should be vaccinated by now. Also, the frontline workers, aged care workers, so low uh, levels at the moment. We need to do a lot better and very quickly. We need to aim to finish 1A by the end of this month. If we're going to stop transmission, we need to have 
are much higher levels across the population. We need 60 to 70% of people to be immunised, adults, to stop lockdowns. We need 80% plus to have herd immunity and open up those travel bubbles we all want to enjoy. Playing devil's advocate, would it be enough, though, to vaccinate all of the vulnerable people who are going to get really sick or potentially die from COVID, but let other people who, young people who aren't likely to get as sick, be unvaccinated, let it trans, um, transmit through the community and just make sure that our most vulnerable are vaccinated and then go into phase two. Is that an option or not? Some countries in Europe, like Sweden, tried that and they got into quite a lot of trouble with uh, disease spreading too far and too widely. I think we do need to get young people vaccinated to control transmission. They will understand that uh, their protection um, arises from vaccination against a disease that is less likely put them in hospital or kill them, but we can't predict who as a young person will get severe disease. And for that reason, we vaccinate against flu. And for that reason, we need to vaccinate against COVID. We need to stop the transmission. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time tonight, Robert. No, you're welcome. I hope it goes well. Cheers. Former federal politician Julia Banks has alleged that she was inappropriately touched at Parliament House by another MP. Banks alleges that a cabinet minister ran his hand up her leg. She warned that similar inappropriate incidents probably take place, quote, every single day in Parliament House. In an interview with the ABC, Julia Banks also issued a scathing assessment of Scott Morrison's leadership. I left because of that three months of um, treatment where I realised Morrison, the, mo the most powerful man in the country, were, he was, I, I describe him as like a menacing, controlling wallpaper. He was either doing it through his emissaries or directly. He wanted me silenced. He wanted me to be quiet. SES crews in Perth are working tonight to keep up with calls after the city and surrounds experienced the biggest downpour in 20 years. Torrential rain flooded roads, homes, businesses and car parks. More storms are forecast for tomorrow and Wednesday. A surfer is in hospital tonight after being attacked by a three-metre-long great white shark on the New South Wales mid-north coast. The man, believed to be in his 20s, was surfing at Crescent Head Beach when the shark bit his arm. Police say it was a significant bite and caused serious injuries. They praise the people who helped him from the water. The future of the Formula One Australian Grand Prix is hanging in the balance tonight with officials urging the Victoria government to approve the November event. Georgia Love is live for us in Melbourne. Georgia Formula One organisers seem confident. They're trying to be, and uh, the Victorian government, though, still have not made any decisions. The Australian Grand Prix Corporation has put in its COVID safe plan. What they want to do is avoid the two-week hotel quarantine that everyone coming from overseas has to do. Instead, they want to be able to come here on a travel bubble type arrangement where they won't be mixing with anyone from the community. But the Victorian government is yet to make a decision. All I can say really on that focus is that we would be looking at the proposal and the mechanism deciding whether we think there's a significant public health risk to the community and uh, if there are risks can they be minimised or eliminated or not. So no decisions being made on that. It's, it'll be an ongoing assessment and it'll also depend of course on what the risks are both internationally and locally. 
And no matter what the outcome is, it needs to be decided by the end of this month. The event is slated for November and they need nine weeks to set it up if it is approved. If it doesn't go ahead, they also need a fair bit of time to cancel it and make other arrangements too. And Georgia, the AFL fixtures for round 17, they were released tonight. They were, and there's a bit of a return to normal finally for the first time in a few weeks. Monday night, footy's returning over in the west. Uh, west Coast is going to host North Melbourne at Optus Stadium with a return capacity of 100%. There'll be games again in Adelaide and Launceston too. Still no matches for Sydney though with the COVID situation going on there. As for Queensland, Brisbane is set to host the Saints at the Gabba. The AFL remains hopeful that that's still going to happen, but at the moment the Victorian government still has Brisbane listed as a red zone, uh, which just means there's still a fair bit of work to do before that happens, Ange. OK, thanks so much, Georgia. A military plane in the Philippines has overshot the runway and crashed, killing at least 50 people. Some passengers managed to jump from the aircraft before it exploded. Many of those on board had only just completed their military training. Three civilians on the ground were also killed. And the remaining portion of a Florida apartment building that partially collapsed last month has been demolished. With a tropical storm approaching, officials had no choice but to level the rest of the unstable building. Despite over 120 people still unaccounted for, 24 people have been confirmed dead so far. As we go to air, Pope Francis is recovering in hospital after successful intestinal surgery. Sarah Greenalt is in Rome for us tonight. Sarah, what is the latest? Good evening. The Vatican released a statement uh, a short time ago saying that the Pope is doing well following this intestinal surgery at Rome's Gemelli Hospital. The 84-year-old surgery lasted about three hours and during that he actually had part of his colon removed. Now this is a condition that usually affects older people. Uh, it does cause quite severe abdominal pain. 84-year-old Pope Francis is otherwise in reasonable health. He does only have part of one of his lungs. He had that removed during an operation as a young man in Argentina. He also suffers from hip and back pain, sciatica, which has caused the, uh, the uh, cancellation of some events in the past. But this is his first hospital stay since his election in 2013. The timing of this procedure did raise a few eyebrows, uh, some questions yesterday, given that it was a Sunday afternoon. But the Vatican has stressed that this was a scheduled, planned procedure. It wasn't an emergency, and he is now doing well. He also uh, did his weekly Sunday audience in St Peter's Square yesterday talking to thousands of people. He had asked them to pray for him but as we understand it today uh, everything has gone to plan. Has the Vatican given any indication as to how long his recovery will take? This most recent uh, statement, Ange, does say that he could be in hospital for up to a week in the papal suite where other popes uh, for generations have stayed before him. The Italian Prime Minister has released a statement saying that the thoughts of all Italians are with him, wishing him a speedy recovery. The uh, bishops here in Italy have also released their own statement saying that Pope Francis is an inspiration, that he's always smiling, and they hope to see him back at his weekly audience next Sunday. In an indication of perhaps how much the 84-year-old believes in his own recovery. He did say yesterday during this audience that he uh, is planning a trip to Slovakia and Hungary in September. His uh, last or first overseas trip since the pandemic began was just a few months ago to Iraq. So uh, he has asked for the prayers and many Italians here are doing just that.
no doubt, around the world. Okay, thanks so much, Sarah Greenalch in Rome Fress. At this rate, under the government's four-phase exit plan, Australia will be locked away from the rest of the world until well into 2022. So while the plan promises to take us back to life as normal, what will it cost? I'm joined by Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton. Gemma, what will happen to Australia's economy if we are shut off from the rest of the world until late next year? Well, and there are the measurable costs, such as the industries like tourism and education that won't be able to get the customers in. We can quantify that quite easily. Less easy to measure is what happens to businesses that can't get workers because they uh, hire a lot of migrants. For example, tech and healthcare are two industries that are really suffering at the moment, lots of vacancies and they can't get the necessary people in. And then there's a whole host of other costs that are really difficult to quantify, such as the hit to business and consumer confidence, uh, all the would-be entrepreneurs who don't feel confident to get out there and start a new business. And our image as a nation, as a welcoming, globally focused and globally open country that people want to trade with, people want to come to, whether as a tourist uh, or a migrant, uh, all these things take a cost when you add them all up together and weigh on the economy. You mentioned tourism. How much does the government's four-phase plan leave tourism in the coal? Well, the problem with the plan is it's a lot of goals without any timeline attached to it. Yeah. So business can't operate like that. You can't invest, you can't hire people when you don't have an idea of timeline at all. So this really doesn't give them very much. It doesn't give any clarity about international borders. It doesn't give any clarity about state borders. It doesn't give any clarity about lockdowns. And what's worse is that while there was JobKeeper, there was some confidence that there was a backstop if things went wrong. Now fiscal support is at the discretion of state governments mostly and even when there is a lockdown it's not guaranteed you'll get help. Many businesses in both New South Wales and Victoria didn't qualify for help in the most recent batch of lockdown. So given all that insecurity, there is very, very little for tourism businesses to operate with, with confidence. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got to end it with some positive news <laughs> for Australia post-pandemic. You've got some for us. Yes, uh, great news for Sydney Airport shareholders today. Uh, the share price soared by around 34% on the back of a $22 billion takeover bid from a group of infrastructure investors who are very much looking beyond the pandemic to a time when they see global travel back on its feet, uh, likely 2023 or beyond. Now, the board of Sydney Airports actually reacted quite coolly to this takeover bid, and that's because the value that's been ascribed to Sydney Airport by the offer is actually less than Sydney Airport was trading at before the pandemic. So it just shows how much of a hit they've had. But nonetheless, it does show that there is a brighter future, many believe, for airports and other tourism and travel businesses on the other side of this. Feels like we're looking very far down. <laughs> um, OK, thanks so much, Jim. Thanks, Ange. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. 
Thanks, Ange. A lower finish in both Tokyo and Hong Kong tonight, while our local markets just squeaked through to a positive close, in large part thanks to the $22 billion takeover bid for Sydney airports and the consequent 34% jump in its share price. Wall Street has its sights set on an underwhelming start to the week. That's after US stocks hit fresh record highs again on Friday. And the OPEC Plus meeting of most of the world's biggest oil-producing countries is still stuck in deadlocked discussions. Saudi Arabia and its allies would like to raise output by 400,000 barrels a day, but the United Arab Emirates is holding out for now at least. And the Aussie dollar is edging higher. It is now buying just over 75.3 US cents. And. Thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.